podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hey everyone, I'm going to keep this intro pretty short. Um, I've been sharing the forecast to the podcast recently. Um, you know, after many years of having them only in written form, then bringing them to YouTube and then bringing them out here. And for December 2nd to December 8th, in lieu of writing the forecast as usual, because there wasn't that much occurring, given, you know, the criteria that I usually use for forecasting, um, I decided to write about an event happening later this month, December 21st, 2020, which is the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius, which is era marking the beginning of an era. And I wanted to take an angle of, you know, what does this era mean in our personal lives? Um, so I have some thoughts for you about spiritual technology and mindset technology um, to you know, consider for this time period ahead. So I'm going to get into it. You'll notice as you're listening to this, that this comes from a YouTube video. So I'll say things like comment or like, and subscribe, which, you know, of course, if you're listening on the podcast, you can go to YouTube and leave a comment. I'd love that, but feel free to just listen and enjoy. This is Sabrina Monarch of monarchastrology.com, and I would normally be bringing you the forecast for December 2nd to December 8th, but this is an interruption to normal programming because when I sat down to write the forecast, I have a certain criteria of what transits I'm looking for. I'm looking for um, exact alignments between the planets or new or full moons. And within this criteria, we just had Venus and Scorpio try Neptune and Pisces this week. So I decided to go ahead and use this time um, that I allot every week for forecast writing to write about the great conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter in Aquarius, which happens December 21st, 2020 um, instead. So this is a pretty pivotal event and it's not just going to be a thing that happens on December 21st, but it will be the beginning of an era. Um, just as any conjunction between two planets can be the beginning of a cycle, but this is especially the beginning of an era for the reason that um, Jupiter and Saturn have not just a 20 year cycle of every time they form a conjunction or they align together in the sky, but they have a 200 year cycle where they have a pattern where they stay in the same element. So earth, fire, etc., cetera, um, for 200 years. And Towards the end of any given cycle with Jupiter and Saturn, they'll dip into the new element and then dip back into the one they had just been in for nearly 200 years and then come back. Um, so that's essentially where we are because um, we're moving into an air era between Jupiter and Saturn um, as they can join in Aquarius. Um, and the last time they made a, well, here, let me just give you some of the the data points, and then I'll go into some analysis and some offering about this conjunction. So the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction will happen in zero degrees of Aquarius, December 21st, 2020 at 10.20 a.m. Pacific. Um, the zero degree 
um, of the, of any given sign is kind of a special moment too, because it's so full of possibility. It's, um, just like the, the very beginning of the sign, right? So the last Jupiter Saturn conjunction occurred in Taurus in late May of 2020. And Jupiter Saturn conjunctions happen around once every 20 years. Jupiter Saturn conjunctions. So just a little bit, I'm like looking at my notes because I write everything before I talk for the most part when it comes to creating content like this. Um, but Jupiter Saturn conjunctions happen around once every 20 years and they stay in the same element. So water, earth, etc., for around 200 years. So Jupiter and Saturn did dip into an air sign conjunction in 1981, um, when they conjoined in Libra. And before then it was a, um, a 200 year, like earth period. We had our last Jupiter Saturn conjunction back in an earth sign in Taurus in the year 2000. And now December 21st, this solstice of, you know, marking the end of such a historical year, um, we now enter an air era where for the next 200 years, Jupiter and Saturn will form conjunctions exclusively in air signs until that cycles over in 200 years. So there's definitely a significance to this as it plays out in world trends. Saturn Uranus, sorry, not Saturn Uranus, um, Saturn Jupiter, when they come together, you know, relates to Saturn relates to convention and um, societal norms, its structure, its architecture, its standards, it's the structures that facilitate life as we know it. And so some of these structures may be nice, like having roads to drive on and like clear um, systems maybe that work. And some structures can feel more oppressive or like outdated. Um, Saturn is a really interesting energy in that it tends to hang on. Um, it has an enduring quality. So even like, I know this is kind of like a macabre image, but you know, Saturn here, um, bodies that decay in the ground, you know, once the life is over, the bones are the last thing that remains and bones, um, are related to Saturn. They're part of the structural architecture of the body, um, that, you know, more soft elements of the body hang on that skeleton, that structure. So Saturn has a quality of lasting or enduring. It's something that has crystallized over time. Um, this can be our personal patterns, our developmental patterns, um, the way that our posture, for example, reflects um, years of patterning and that maybe changing our posture is something that can be done, um, but might take work. Um, I think of the ways that trees grow where the tree is not going to kind of change directions in its growth immediately, unless it snaps, it's going to kind of twist and wind and make its way there slowly in time. So Saturn does also relate to things. Um, taking time and the density um, of this plane, gravity, the force that holds us down to earth. So those are all Saturn themes. Um, and 
you know, people will like rag on Saturn because, um, it's like seen as a reaper or the thing that harvests our past deeds. And it's like, Oh no, like the past is going to catch up with us and like all of that. And I think that really working with Saturn is about living a life of integrity and also, you know, understanding the architecture that you're working with. So if you do things day in and day out that don't align with your system, you're not going to like the consequences of that piling up over years. Um, and so sometimes people do that. They get really attached to the structure where they're like, well, I did the thing that I was supposed to do. I got the job. I have the house. I have the spouse. I have the life that I was supposed to get. Why am I not happy? Um, because the architecture maybe was so externally focused and had nothing to do with what you really desired. Right. So Saturn, um, this architecture can be good or not good. You know, it's, it's our relationship with it. Um, and there is a, a leaning toward convention with Saturn that is a possibility where, you know, we feel we have to do things a certain way. Um, and that may or may not be true. Then we have Jupiter, which is a planet that relates to philosophy and expansion. And I see Jupiter as like concentric circles moving out. And so we get, you know, these experiences that we live through, they're direct and they kind of expand our perspective. And Jupiter can be, um, you know, like the bounty of life. Um, it can be expansive, you know, that feeling that you just feel so free and excited about life. Um, the way that you feel when you're having a really good travel or higher education experience as Jupiter relates to both of those things. Um, and Jupiter and Saturn, when they come together, it can be like a new kind of philosophical order a new structure to our philosophy. Um, it can relate to, you know, a change in moral compass and moral direction. And so you'll see this throughout history. And I'm, I'm really speaking impressionistically here because I'm not a historian, um, where there's certain rules of the day, certain standards of the day, what's considered normal, what's considered, you know, moral and just, um, by the general consensus population. Um, and this, you know, if we look back, we can see certain times in history where people were doing things that were like, that's really terrible. Like, why was that considered normal? Um, and so there's also these moments of kind of moral, moral shift that actually gets reflected in the status quo, um, which is the, the structure Saturn. And Jupiter, um, Jupiter and Saturn can both relate to morals in a different way. Saturn can be kind of like the superego, you know, what kind of morals we've internalized from culture, from our family of origin, um, our should consciousness, you know, right versus wrong, all of that. Jupiter is, um, is philosophical and it relates to cosmology and how we think that the cosmos is ordered. And this also relates to um, how we believe society um, how we believe the world should operate um, from a kind of a place of vision and idealism, perhaps. 
Jupiter um, has a, you know, a relationship. It rules the sign of Sagittarius, which is the archer. And so Jupiter can really like to shoot really far past a particular mark. There's a way that our idealistic visions can really elevate um, our life, even if we don't make it to the ideal. Um, Basically that phrase, like shoot for the stars, but you might land on the moon kind of thing um, is something that can happen with the planet Jupiter. So Jupiter and Saturn come together. And when this happens, there can be a new, a new cycle around, you know, the order of the day, what is considered um, conventional, what philosophies become more standard. Um, And given that we're looking at, you know, archetypes, which are so multivalent and they can run across a variety of, you know, spectrums, What's interesting about Jupiter and Saturn coming together too is that Saturn relates to limitation and Jupiter is expansion. So we can think about uh, limitations that are inherently expansive. Um, or forms of expansion that need to be reeled in and more limited. And I'm going to be talking throughout this when I come back to my notes, because I, I wasn't expecting to just kind of talk here. Um, what this looks like in Aquarius specifically, and what this could mean as like a new era. So let's get to that. So one thing that I, I'm going to leave a note, um, a link in the notes for an article from ESAR that talks more about this 200 year cycle and some more like historical points. Um, as someone who thinks a lot more about the personal life of individuals, personal psychology, personal development, um, you know, I thrive in one-on-one conversations and talking about the human condition and like timeless human truths and whatnot. And when it comes to thinking about history, um, it's a little bit harder for me to retain that information. So um, I've just accepted <laughs> where I'm at um, and what interests me or like what my mind is really um, aligned with or attuned with and how that relates to my purpose too. It's like, I'm not a history teacher, but, um, I help people, um, shift their mindset or understand themselves. Um, and at the same time, understanding these bigger cycles or historical trends can be very profound. So, um, I don't know. For those of you that are like more historically minded, I would love to hear in the comments, like what connections you're making um, about this transition from the earth element to the air element. Perhaps you have to know a little bit about what those things mean. Um, Check out the ESAR article though. Um, But regardless, you know, normally when I make these videos, I say at the beginning, you know, like, and subscribe. So please, if you're listening, go ahead and like this video. It really helps. Um, And let me know what you think. Um, as you're watching or at the end. So I wanted to reflect on the question of what does this conjunction, um, one that represents a new social era, mean in the realm of the personal life? If this great conjunction in Aquarius may relate to new ideas and new technologies, which shift the status quo, Um, so we can speculate what inventions like the internet, um, will sweep over the globe and change the whole game. Maybe it's AI or 
you know, something Aquarian, something new and innovative. Um, what is this in the life of the individual? So recently I came across a shaman Durek quote that goes in shamanism. We say that a person who lived a good life was a good dreamer, meaning that they created a lot of options for themselves. In shamanism, we say that a person who lived a good life was a good dreamer, meaning that they created a lot of options for themselves. So in this spirit, personal experiences with the technology of mindset and changing one's mind. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, my own experience as a gateway for talking about these themes, um, and then I'll, I'll broaden it out. So one of my greatest pleasures and sources of true excitement in this life, in this incarnation, has been learning how to alter my beliefs, my perception, and my mindset to experience a different reality. So what does it mean to be living a certain way, seeing the world in a certain way, and not by anything changing in the external, having a shift in perception, but deciding from the internal, from my mind, from how I visualize and conceptualize things, that reality is something else. And then walking out into the world and experiencing a glitch in the matrix the spiritual teaching that everything we experience here in the physical form um, is actually a manifestation of past thoughts and feelings sent this irrevocable ripple through my world so this also relates to saturn saturn is the crystallization of things um, built up over time so think about um, what are the, the routine thoughts that you have every single day and what consequences do those accrue over time? Buildings were blueprints before they were constructed and before they were even the blueprint, it was an idea or the feeling in the architect. Social trends, which become conventions and embedded parts of our life, were once based on ideas. Even the very physical chemical currents that run through our bodies, so adrenaline, cortisol, various endorphins, um, these can be sparked into existence with thoughts and feelings. Um, and you can try it. Um, I'm really big into visualization, and I've worked with visualization to create chemistry in my body, like first as an experiment, but then as a kind of conditioning process, like what if I could generate endorphins for no reason, just through things that I'm thinking and experience that I'm having in my body spontaneously. And what if I did that frequently as a way to change my baseline chemistry? So when I come back to this idea that everything in this material reality is the manifestation of past thoughts and feelings. It's not that these physical things, these buildings, these social institutions, these chemicals, 
these circumstances that we experience on earth, um, it's not that these don't have consequences or impact of their own. It's kind of like a snowball effect. Like there's this, um, energy current rolling down a hill and it collects more, um, things or magnetizes more things to itself. And, you know, or you can get like a self-perpetuating loop. Um, this happens a lot, say with like trauma or trauma responses is that there was an event, there's a reaction to the event. And now the emotional reaction to the event creates new experiences that are related to that original kind of traumatic event. So it can be quite, you know, it's not for no reason. So speaking Aquarius here in evolutionary astrology, Aquarius relates to liberation and trauma. Um, and there's a way that we can be um, kind of enmeshed, you know, with our trauma. A lot of us that are working with trauma consciously or on some kind of personal development path, you know, have figured out some ways or are figuring out some ways to detach from some of these patterns um, so that we don't have to keep playing them out. So the idea that the physical didn't necessarily come first, that it's not necessarily primary, but that the physical is born of less dense material that is thought and feeling um, actually opens up quite a creative opportunity. What if you could change your life by changing your thoughts and feelings and doing this on a routine basis? So when I first learned this concept, uh, my mind put up very little, if any, resistance to it. Um, my first evolutionary astrology reading, the astrologer told me like, you're not as attached to reality as a lot of other people on the planet. I was like, wow, that's true. <laughs> that's so true. Um, and for that reason, you know, going through public schooling, growing up, I was able to, um, like naturally just be a good student, but it didn't mean that much to me. I didn't work that hard to get good grades. Um, and I didn't really necessarily, like I knew the kind of game of like, get good grades, get in a good college, have a good life, but it didn't hit me with like impact in my soul that that was like the end all be all, you know? And so as I began to have more individuation experience or experience more of like, my truth or whatnot, structure and building something of my life meant more to me because I wasn't just building a conventional life where I was going to like get a job and do the thing, but it was a sense of what does my soul want in this lifetime? Like, what's my desire? Why am I here? And how can I work with structure to have a functional life um, doing those things so that it's not just something that I get to do on the side after I'm done working at a job that I don't want to be at kind of thing. So my lack of resistance to this spiritual concept that the physical is a manifestation of the past um, really gave me freedom to experiment with reality itself. Instead of believing my circumstances and the material conditions of my life at face value, I believed that I could have some hand in shaping the conditions of my life if I made a practice of aligning with the ideas that would be the most fertile to the realities that I would like to experience. And not just ideas, but like feeling those ideas in my body. 
feeling those ideas as chemical sensations, feeling those ideas as tingling sensations, or if you know me, um, these little sparkles of light that I see that help me align with like my higher self, um, would be a basic way to put it. So years deep into the practice of manifestation as a way of life, I've learned that deconstructing mental concepts and building new ones is work. One of my first projects in the realm of manifestation was to raise my baseline mood. Um, This was because the things I was learning about law of attraction and manifestation and like, I wanted to live my best life, you know, kind of. I got the idea from it that I would become more magnetic and that I would just have a better experience and in life if I had an elevated mood more often. Um, So this was after I'd had a spiritual awakening and a massive dark night of the soul back to back. And so I was really working with some of these disciplined practices to rediscover peak experience in a more sustainable way in my life. So as this was going on, um, I began to observe myself, you know, witness myself. And when I found myself dipping into depressive states at the time, my MO would be to discover some way to be happier, whether I had to act or pretend like literally just like live a fantasy, um, maybe move my body and like maybe get outside, um, but I would find some way to basically take care of myself and cheer myself up instead of waiting to be saved by the external world, by something else happening. It was like, no one's coming to get me. (laughs) I'm just going to pull myself up, um, with my own resources or by, you know, relating to things, um, like one of the, you know, I love tea. I'm always drinking tea and, just like the meditative act and like the physicality of like being with tea or something like would help me kind of get into a place of feeling a magical connection with the physical world Um, or making my room beautiful, doing anything that was in my capacity to bond with the material realm, but not make the material material realm. So ultimate. So in my inner vision, as I was in this disciplined around the clock practice of raising my baseline mood, um, which some people would call like spiritual bypassing. Like for me, it was like a very intentional brain rewiring process. Um, but in my inner vision, I could see these tired and worn out neural pathways, um, that looked like, like ruts in the soil, like dirt essentially, and just like getting stuck in these like particular ruts or grooves. Um, and that these neural pathways had been paved out through years of indulging in my pain. And I mean, indulging like really, um, as someone who's quite emotional and has a lot of like water uh, stuff in my chart and a lot of Pisces, um, you know, like feeling everything really intensely, but not having that kind of, um, okay, I've been wallowing enough here, time to get out, like wallowing and wallowing and wallowing for so long that it had become part of my personality. And I really wanted to shift that. So I stopped believing my depressed mood. So I was like, oh, I'm in this rut again, this familiar ass neural pathway. 
Um, and I just saw myself basically inventing new pathways and building ladders from these ruts out. Um, so creating all these new options and a bunch of different recesses and ruts of my mind. And at the time that I did this, I didn't think that my external reality really reflected my desires for life. There was so much internally that I wanted to be external. Like I wanted different circumstances in my life. And I think that um, that's an interesting one too. Like I continue to play with manifestation and one of my um, thoughts that I'm playing with now is like everything, like I have everything that I want. Like this is exactly the life that I desire. Um, not to negate the yearning or the desires that are moving through me, but to stop being so, um, feeling that my, my dream life is separate from the life that I'm living. Right. But at this time, you know, I was very aware that, um, generally like I'm able to communicate my ideas now verbally. Um, like I can speak like I am now, but at that time I felt a little bit more locked inside of myself. Like I could write, but I couldn't speak confidently. Um, and so I wasn't really getting the mirroring in my environment that I necessarily desired. There was like some desire to be more successful or to be recognized more or to have like um, a community that I didn't yet have, um, developments, which have since, you know, occurred, but, you know, at the time it was like, there's this seed, there's something inside of me that is wanting to like unfurl, but it hasn't happened yet. So I made a practice at that time to not identify so heavily with that, um, sense of my life, not being good, you know, um, and I identified with my vision and like seeing beyond the physical instead of just like, I already am all these things. My life already is this, even if that wasn't necessarily true in linear time. And I also found physical anchors in my life to connect with tea, as I was mentioning, and the way, the beautiful way it looks as it's steaming. Um, my housemates, cats that I lived with at the time, walks in the woods, um, good food but I made a point to enjoy it and to take it in. I really reinforced in my mind how beautiful these things were and how enchanted my life was. And I believed that the more that I did this, the more my external life would grow abundant with images and experiences that reinforced my desire for a rich and meaningful life. And instead of just wanting it as some distant thing to have it drop gravity, materialize, be my dense Saturnian experience here and not just a fantasy. And this was how I first learned to let fantasy and intention lead more than my concrete present circumstances. And it's just an interesting paradox to walk because you're, you're being in the physical, you're here now, but you're also seeing beyond it. This requires a certain sufficient amount of detachment and it opens up the question of how to relate to what is and to not become completely out of touch either. Like if you detach from this reality, there's such freedom and magic in that, but you do also have to navigate the world and your social relationships um, 
And that's really part of the the mastery and craft of Saturn and Aquarius and Aquarius in general is like, how do you integrate your far out, your other worlds with the mainstream or the conventional world? Um, so yeah, it's like <laughs> that those time periods where you're having a spiritual awakening and it's hard to go to the grocery store or like you don't know how to have a normal conversation or just like a pleasant you know, birds whistling in the trees conversation with someone because you're just on some other planet. Um, it's like, does that really, it's great to go to the, that other planet and go to that space, um, and resource yourself and like live into that freedom. But how do you weave that into this realm? So the technology of mind and vision Aquarius relates to liberation. It is like an electric current. Working with the magic that Aquarius has to offer is a matter of becoming like a finely tuned radio. How do you become receptive to ideas? And how do certain ideas land in your body? With fine tuning, perhaps an excellence that Saturn represents here in Aquarius, we can feel the musicality of ideas. Do they feel like a heavy pit in our stomach? Do they send chills up our spine or a rolling tingling sensation into the back of our head? So becoming like a finely tuned radio, it's like what makes your mind receptive to picking up certain ideas? And as someone, you know, I've never been a scientific materialist. Um, I don't believe that um, the physical comes first. I don't believe that consciousness is birthed from the brain, um, that it lives exclusively in the brain and that as soon as we die, the lights are out. Um, so for me, there's just certain ideas that I can play with and I can live by that someone who really identifies with like the scientific school of thought and I'm not anti-science per se. It's just like, it's not my, my ultimate. So there's certain ideas that I can play with or that I can receive um, because I don't limit myself with that paradigm. Um, for example, when I give astrology readings, um, I often get images that land in my mind that are very specific. Um, and one of them, you know, like a specific image, I say it as a metaphor and the person often exclaims, I do that, or that exact thing happened in my childhood. And it's like that information was there in the field. I don't have to have like a logical scientific understanding of how we just had that exchange of information. Um, so I actually do get to receive psychic vision because I don't, I don't doubt it. Um, and I don't put it in some box that is not for it. So thinking about the kinds of mental constructs that you have and that you align with and how they do tune you into certain things. Another example for me is that as a writer who um, pretty much writes every day, ideas come constantly like an avalanche to me, but I'm not a musician and I don't think in music. I just don't channel songs. Um, I started playing around. Like I learned about the idea that musicians channel songs. And if I really, like, if I go to the woods with the intention of like, I would like to pick up a song from the woods today, I can, but it's not necessarily like, um, my strongest channel or something. 
um, similar, like, I don't know, just think about what, what are you practiced in? What are you versed in? And how does that make you a radio station to pick up frequencies that fit with that? So one of the ways that the channel becomes clear enough to be sensitive. So when you can feel the musicality of ideas is through the act of unraveling and disidentifying. What is radio silence like? What does it feel like to identify your own thoughts and the material circumstances around you, but to know that you are not any of those things? I'm not my ego. I'm not my job. I'm not this house that I live in. I'm not this interpersonal drama that I'm having with a friend right now. I'm not this couple. I'm not this. I'm not that. Netty netty, essentially which is the practice neti neti, uh, snowy silence. And rather than completely dissolving the self into nothingness or nihilism, this activity of mental purification simply unbinds us from rigid egoic attachment to things, or at least shows us how possessive we are of these things. In a meditation, for example, um, and you can try this, like, Try this as a, a mental activity to really feel and experience what I'm talking about. Um, I'm not going to lead you through it right now, but just as an activity to do later. When you do like a, a silent sitting meditation, um, picture that you you know your eyes are closed, you're sitting, you're kind of like in that um, very like alert spine straight kind of posture, which I think is a lot. I do a lot of laying down meditations, which are a lot more drifty and kind of like magical. And if I'm going to be sitting, it's going to be a lot more masculine and like Shiva like. So you're sitting here in meditation, you're tuning into your breath and you make a point to witness everything that goes by in your mind, all your thoughts, all your memories, whatever's coming up, not judge it, not attach to it. Um, just let it be. And you picture yourself like you're at a riverbank and everything that is going through your mind is just the river that is flowing before you. Now the act of meditating isn't just about being perfect and never getting lost in those thoughts. It's building this practice where you're watching those thoughts flow by like a river. And naturally you're going to jump into the river sometimes and find yourself floating downstream with the current of the thought that you were thinking. And then you remember that you're meditating and you come back to the witness state. And this very activity, you'll notice that it's, um, it takes practice and that you'll, you'll stray and come back and stray and come back. And it really can demonstrate the way that, um, that we like to get attached and get so absorbed in our thoughts and in our identity that we're not in that witness place anymore, that we've just kind of flown downstream with all of it. And the more practiced you become at honing that witness, then you have freedom where you can decide not that you're never going to jump into the stream, 
but that you get to choose if you are or not. And I say this because we don't, we're not here in this incarnation to just be detached and to like not bond with the earth and not bond with these physical bodies. Um, we're making bonding experiences all the time. We're getting attached to things. We're investing in things. We're identifying with things, but how much of that is a choice and how much of that is just compulsion or habit or unconscious. So having that witness detachment is a way into having empowerment with what you want to get involved with, not just being involved by default and, you know, being tangled up in all your thoughts and identities. So when we take the time to disidentify, we enter an expansive field of consciousness where pure possibility exists. We're not alive in this incarnation to not be human and to not be here. However, what would it be like to ride the most electric and true currents that run through us? Might we be more sensitive to these currents, the more quiet we allow our mind to be? There's a difference between trying to be something and just being. Stilling the mind and detaching is one opening point for feeling more intently the quality of our ideas and concepts. What's the deepest truth in you beyond all those layers, below all these layers, once you've been able to disidentify enough to let them go? On committing to excitement and aliveness. Imagine having your radio tuned this finely that you were able to work with it to make certain decisions in life. Committing to a life of excitement and aliveness need not be some irresponsible, lofty, or disastrous thing leaving chaos in its wake. Knowing what turns us on and what sparks aliveness in us and having ways to align our actions and life directions with that high electric current of energy is a way to be in touch with the life force that moves through us. And excitement is just a generalized word. Um, for me, I talk a lot about enchantment, like enchantment and magic is one of my excitements. Um, but excitement is kind of like a general you know, what's, what's exciting for you? What is, when you think about what you would do with your life, if you weren't scared, that's like <laughs> that excited energy. Living a life of excitement and truth is not something that happens in one decision or one magical epiphany. It is a sequence of unraveling of realization and of cultivating a relationship with the life force and the energetic currents that underlie everything. The Saturn Jupiter era ahead in air signs, starting out with this um, 20 year cycle that's now beginning with Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius. Um, and by 20 year cycle, I just mean that it's Jupiter and Saturn are aligning by conjunction, and then it will be another 20 years before they form a conjunction in another air sign. Um, but this era ahead, as far, you know, speaking about the personal life here, this may relate to learning spiritual and mental technologies that create more freedom and liberation in our experience. 
while these ideas can be expansive, you know, live your truth, live your highest excitement, the work of actually doing that and practically and sustainably so, because we're talking about Saturn here, is intricate and it's a form of mastery. This is why, you know, when I hear people talk about a lot of law, like manifestation kind of things as spiritual bypass, um, it's like, well, not necessarily. It might be an unskillful use of these things. Um, when I was doing that experiment or that project where I was getting myself out of these mental ruts, you know, someone might have wanted to prescribe me like a feel your feelings kind of route. And for me, I was already in my feelings so hard that it wasn't, you know, productive anymore. Like it wasn't helping me. So for me, exhibit like having that level of control, bringing that level of control and discipline and devotion to my system. Um, even if I was at the time, you know, maybe, um, bypassing my feelings. It was like, I'm tired of this script. What if these feelings aren't real or true anymore? So I think that, you know, when it comes to really actually working with mindset technology and spiritual technology, it, it's a process and it's a practice. Um, and there's going to be some challenges or some common mishaps, like um, common issues that people have along the way. I've definitely spoken with people that are so deep in their, um, their manifestation work and they're, they seem kind of like newer to it, that they kind of have this, um, like you don't feel connected to them because they're just like smiling and they're like asserting a reality that's like not even there. Um, and they kind of have this, like, I'm like, walking on the air and I'm like, so above everything energy. And it's like, I don't even fault them for that. <laughs> like it's annoying from one perspective, but it's like, I also can empathize with what they're going through. And I think that, you know, you can't live that way all the time. Eventually um, you need to learn. And this is just my opinion, right? But eventually you need to learn how to integrate with what's happening in your life. Um, because if difficult things are happening and you're always putting on a smile and being like, this is, you know, the best thing that ever happened. And I, you know, everything is all good with my higher self, la la la. Like that might not actually be of your highest benefit, um, as a way to live hundred percent of the time. However, if it's a, a ladder that gets you out of a mental rut, Great. So I think that it's um, working with some of these ideas, you know, for anyone that wants to play with shifting their reality through spiritual and kind of mindset means you're going to find that it's a game and that there is um, ways to play the game well and ways to play the game unskillfully and mistakes that you're going to make along the way. But it's not a bad game. So some people have written books or made documentaries based on experiences that they had aligning with a particular um, value for a certain amount of time. I think there's some bestseller about like a happiness project or someone like something or someone um, tuning into, you know, creating happiness for an extended period of time and what they learned. Um, you might notice that the frequency that while the frequency that you choose is expansive, so let's say a hundred day of Eros or 
hundred days of bliss or a hundred days of magic. Like you can create a project like that, um, a daily practice where you're going to, you know, and I think that that's great. Like as a writer, um, I'm of the school of thought that like I sit down to create whether I'm inspired or not. Um, and you know, that has its downsides. And I think that after doing that for years, I can actually take it easy. But part of why I can take it easy is because that discipline of sitting down to create all the time, um, you get past that feeling that you don't have anything to say or that nothing is inspiring. Uh, my favorite quote about writing is from Haruki Murakami, where he's talking about that every time he writes a new novel, he has to rediscover it. And that it's like hacking at the rock until he reaches a geyser, which is such a like crude image, but you know, that sense of, okay, there's a little bit of struggle. Um, discipline isn't easy, but then something miraculous, um, opens up out of it. So I, I think that it's interesting, this kind of paradox where, um, discipline, you know, I particularly just like it. It aligns with my system in certain ways. Um, a lot of my practices that I do with discipline are part of what makes me feel happy. And if I slide from those disciplines, um, I just don't, don't feel as good. So there's no reason for me to not keep up the things that I'm devoted to. Um, however, when conditioning a new habit, it's hard. It doesn't feel good. It's not necessarily fun. And it's an interesting kind of paradox of why is it that doing this thing that doesn't feel good right now is actually going to be better later on. Um, and learning the difference between, you know, doing something that isn't true for you. Like for example, um, I, I don't think my constitution is naturally that athletic but I am an Aries sun and it does bring me joy to experience like more power in my body. So I have done various, like, you know, I ran cross country in high school and got injured, uh, shin splints. Um, I did Ashtanga yoga and got injured. And now I, I work out like regularly and have done, you know, gotten so practiced and so careful about like how to prevent injury and all of that. Um, but it's like, I keep trying to find ways to do these, you know, to physically exercise every day in a way that's right for my constitution. Um, and then my body craves it. So even though it's like a discipline of I'm going to work out five days a week, um, I begin to crave it. And I think that this can be done, you know, with any kind of emotional frequency. So if you, you know, want to be happy, and I think most people do, it's not about, um, not just about altering your external world. Um, it is about making decisions and aligning with things, but it comes from the internal. So if you're going to decide to be a happier person, what does the frequency of happiness and joy feel like to you? And how do you, um, devote yourself to that frequency over time and notice that, some days you really don't feel like being happy and what part of your ego, what part of your conditioned consciousness is like, fuck being happy. Like I'm over this. Like you're going to have to confront that just as if you're going to do a creative practice every day, whether or not you're inspired, you're going to have to confront being uninspired. So you'll notice that if you commit to a frequency and I'm speaking Saturn commit frequency Aquarius, if you commit to a frequency, 
you'll notice that it takes discipline and devotion um, to remain in the container that you've chosen. And sometimes you may realize that you're in the wrong container, just as I had to realize I'm not an Ashtangi as much as I wanted to be, or I'm not a cross-country runner as much as I wanted to be. Um, like let that structure maybe sometimes be fluid and shiftable enough so that you're not just super dogmatic and running yourself to the ground, right? But this is still attunement and alignment. What's true for you? What does discipline as a practice or devotion look like for you? Because it's so unique to everyone. And are you committed to building this channel, this radio tower? And what will you learn along the way? So these are my thoughts um, for now about the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction in Aquarius and how it may relate to you in your personal life in summation. Um, I think that it is about developing a new relationship um, or deepening an existing relationship or having some kind of um, new commitment to spiritual technologies or mindset technologies. And I think that um, detachment, so Aquarius, like a general kind of like major Aquarian theme is kind of a key into being able to play this particular game. Um, because if you're attached to the, the worldview that you have, and if your worldview doesn't allow for this, um, then it's hard to play the game. So thinking about, you know, what supports you moving forward to develop your witness consciousness more, if it's going to be that you meditate um, or do some kind of ego unraveling process, but what helps you get into the witness state and when you're in that like witness state, where's the fertility in that? Um, and by fertility, I mean like receptivity to certain ideas. Um, what's coming through you? What are you becoming a channel for? And the discipline that it takes to maintain a channel. Um, so consider, you know, what would a life of integrity and excitement look like where the structures that you invest in or the structures that you believe in resonate with you. Like they land musically um, and you really truly feel them. So thank you for tuning in. Um, this was a break from normal programming. We, uh, I share astrology forecasts every week about the transits. Um, and this one, we just went a little bit in advance for something happening later this month. Please like this video, leave me a comment. Let me know what you thought. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, go ahead and um, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. So this is Magic of the Spheres podcast. And actually, if you take a screenshot of your review um, on Apple Podcasts or iTunes of Magic of the Spheres, and you know, please only do this if you actually listen to the podcast or these forecasts. And if you're here, you at least listen to the forecasts. Um, I don't want reviews from people that don't listen, <laughs> which I don't think would happen. But just saying, if you send a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library for creating and elevating your reality. Because as you can see, I love this stuff. And I have a few videos in that library um, about how to play with reality um, and have more fun in this reality. So... 
Yeah, I think that's um, what I have to say for now. Thanks for listening and I'll see you again soon. 